guys, Steve here, Potent Ponics. Today we're going to talk about going with fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast. This is episode 296. You're getting way up there in numbers. Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, we're almost at 300. Uh, I still haven't figured out what we're going to do for our 300th episode yet, but uh, it's definitely coming up quicker than I realized. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely have some announcements for that soon. Um, today we're going to talk about um, the upcoming uh, Supernatural Conference. Uh, um, we have uh, the two creators of the conference with us today, Wendy Kornberg, who's been on the show uh, quite a bit and uh, one of our favorite guests. And then we also have uh, uh, her husband, James uh, uh, Bauer. 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 Yeah. <laughs> He's so close. That's all right. Nobody ever gets it. It's Buer. Buer. Okay. Uh, uh, James Buer. Uh, and and uh, definitely excited for the episode today. We have quite a few different cool things to talk about and uh, a wonderful conference coming up that, uh, that I'm happy to be part of. We also have a, a couple of quick things before we get started. Let me get the screen going. Um, you can find them at organiccultivators.net just to start off the episode. And we'll get into that a, a, in a moment. But if you want to pull it up at home, go ahead. Um, you guys can also find uh, Marty and I also have an aquaponic cannabis class over apmjclass.com. We have a, a huge new uh, overhaul to the IPM, IPM section. So I'll be looking for that. And then we're also going to be offering the uh, aquaponic IPM class uh, separately uh, uh, as well, starting uh, next week or the week after. Alrighty, so we also have the uh, My- Mycelium, the festival up in Washington. Uh, this will be up in Wilkinson, Washington, August 19th, 20th, and 21st. I'll be speaking up there as well with Chris Trump, uh, Dustin Powers, uh, Cass Posey. Uh, she was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Matt Powers, um, uh, Catherine Seidman, uh, and uh, Molly of Molly's Bottle Shops. So are super stoked on that. Lots of really cool people and um, uh, plenty of uh, uh, good times up there in Washington. Alrighty, uh, uh, we're definitely looking forward to this. Uh, we have the upcoming Supernatural Conference the last weekend of July. Um, we, uh, and uh, all kinds of wonderful speakers. We have uh, Wendy Kornberg uh, with us today. Uh, she'll be kicking us off on Friday. Uh, then Chris Trump will be talking to us. Uh, then Ben Acadia, then myself, then Jace Riviera. Uh, and then on Saturday, we have Dan Kittredge, and then we have uh, a farm panel with Dan Kittredge, uh, Chris Trump, Wendy Kornberg, uh, Ben Acadia, and Patrick King from Soil, uh, Soil King. Uh, and then in the evenings, they have Evening with the Outlaws with Patrick King, Kevin Jodry, Wendy Kornberg, uh, and Michael Wolf Siegel. And then on Sunday, you have uh, Ghouls and Goblins. So you have uh, with Suzanne. So you have Suzanne Wainwright, who's the wonderful expert on uh, insects and aquaponics, not aquaponics, cannabis, I'm sorry. Uh, It's been a long day. I've been doing a lot of recording all day long for an aquaponics class, so I apologize, guys. Um, Suzanne is a a really uh, knowledgeable expert, especially when it comes to cannabis-specific insects. Uh, Then you also have uh, Jana Beckerman, who's kind of uh, the equivalent when it comes to diseases. Uh, She's a a really uh, knowledgeable person on different plant pathogens. And then we have Wolf Siegel uh, rounding us out on Sunday. So uh, a really, really awesome uh, conference. I'm definitely looking forward to it and lots of cool people there. Uh, and then they also have a, an after event over at uh, Ace of Eight's uh, Coffee House uh, in the evenings. And uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, be a really good time. So thank you guys for joining us today. 
Thanks for having us. Yeah, Hopefully, uh, I, go I was gonna say I, I'm gonna apologize for my lack of video um, up here in the hills of Humboldt County. We do have uh, intermittent internet, and uh, today I almost I couldn't even get the darn thing to launch at first, but that seems to be working. But if you see my face, you can't hear my voice, and I feel my words are more important than my pretty eyes. So uh, you get my voice today. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit more about the conference. I know you guys have put a lot of work into uh, putting this together and um, and kind of, uh, I guess, what your goal was putting it together. Uh, there's there's lots of uh, different um, conferences out there and you really put together a wonderful group of different uh, speakers. Um, uh, I guess uh, what kind of uh, uh, got you started with uh, with doing this? Uh, well, actually, this this all kind of started from a Facebook group. Uh, we started a grow group in Michigan and it kind of grew into something that was more than just Michigan. And then uh, it kind of became unmanageable for just me. And I wanted to find some smart people to come and, and help. It's actually how I met uh, Wendy and uh, you and, and you know basically all the other moderators and admins. And uh, the conference kind of came about because I bought uh, tickets to Josh's regen conference before COVID happened and then uh, COVID happened. So um, in that time period, uh, this group kind of took off and uh, I fell in love with Wendy's beautiful eyes and, and her brain over there and uh, ended up moving to California. And, um, you know, we kind of wanted to put on our own conference, something that was a different than Josh's. Um, and, uh, you know, Josh's is really kind of geared for just cannabis. Uh, and while the majority of the, uh, attendees, uh, were cannabis growers at the first one, and I expect the majority of them to be cannabis growers at this one, uh, the speakers are not, um, geared towards cannabis. Uh, it all applies, uh, but only about half of them actually grow cannabis. And, uh, the idea is, uh, cannabis is the gateway plant. You know, once you grow cannabis, you want to grow everything else. And we really believe that um, because regenerative agriculture is gaining a lot of steam, um, certainly in the cannabis community, that it's a good place to start. And, uh, you know, everybody has family and everybody eats food and, and takes medicine. And I think if we can, uh, you know, find the best way to do that in the most responsible way possible, um, that's a good start. And I think cannabis growers are the way in. Um, I think there a lot of us are already doing it and we're annoying our family members and our loved ones with all our experiments and everything that we're doing. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, just getting all these people together in a room has been uh, really cool. All the connections that happen, uh, you know, behind the scenes and outside of the talks uh, has been really cool. Uh, I get messages from attendees. They're like, oh yeah, we've started this project. And um, it's just because they met people at the conference. So pretty cool that's awesome uh i know you guys also have a uh, um uh, put in quite a bit of effort in terms of uh doing the research on the various different things uh you guys had a uh, one already up in um uh massachusetts i believe um do you want to tell us a little bit about uh how that went and uh, maybe kind of what people can expect uh, with the conference coming up in uh, oklahoma yeah how do you think it went wendy 
the Massachusetts inaugural conference was amazing. We had, um, there was about a hundred people in attendance, uh, which was really good for, you know, Mass Sturbridge, Massachusetts in the middle of February, <laughs> people really, you know, put on snow boots and came out and hung out with us. And, um, it was, there was some unique things that happened. So most conferences that I go to, they're very businessy. Uh, they're very, you know, you're sitting and taking notes the whole time, which is amazing and awesome, but you kind of leave with a lot of information, but not necessarily a lot of heart and soul. And what we found that was just kind of a running theme, unintentional, it was not at all planned, was that almost every speaker had some tie in to this deeper connection that we get as people that work with the plant and people that steward um, our lands. And it was really just kind of cool to hear and the conversations that happened afterwards. Like there was a lot of business and a lot of networking, but there was also a lot of people just connecting on a really deeper level. And that to me was unique and different. I don't find that in very many conferences. And even if when it's kind of an underlying theme, it's kind of a quieter underlying theme. And it, it got a little bit more vocal. Like people were really talking about how when you're stewarding your land and when you're utilizing these different natural farming techniques, how you are committing yourself to something that is so much greater than yourself and so much greater than your business and so much greater than you know, just the, the standard rat race money turning, get rich quick schemes. And I think a big part of that is a lot of the people and speakers that are talking, we are talking about things that do take a little bit longer. You can't just jump into, you know, Korean natural farming, for example, and start rolling right off the bat, unless you're buying inputs from other people. And even then you're missing the key component, which is the indigenous microorganisms. It's literally something that you really are supposed to make yourself from your own area. There are definitely ways to skirt around this, especially if you're going to do an indoor, but it's meant to be something that, you know, is DIY. And that in turn just really does connect you because you're out in nature, you're doing things, you're connected, you're literally growing your soil, not just like building your soil, but you're growing your soil. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was a really, really beautiful conference. Like we came away with new lifelong friends and, you know, people really got it. And so it was, it was really, yeah, it was super cool. And that was what also turned us on to doing another one in Oklahoma was, you know, we have some business out there and some um, potential business partners for doing some different projects and uh, found that, you know, no offense, Oklahoma, I know that there are people out there that can grow fire. We just didn't really experience it. And it was definitely a, a moment of like, okay, like, we, we got to get people on the right track out here because it's a huge farming state. And yet people are, uh, seemed to us, the people that we have met so far in Oklahoma are a little bit lost on how to farm appropriately without conventional agricultural means. And so that was like, we're like, well, this is good information for this state and for the surrounding states. And um, it's something that we feel is incredibly important for people to, you know, really feel that connection and for people to understand you don't need to support Monsanto and Bayer in order to make freaking phenomenal food and medicine. You can do this on your own. And so for Oklahoma, we basically turned it and we know that, you know, Oklahoma is really struggling right now. We have a lot of people that are out there that are just in failing businesses because, you know, there was a 
huge oversupply that people somehow didn't see coming. And, uh, and so it's a sliding scale out there. So instead uh, the Boston conference or the, sorry, the Sturbridge conference, you know, I think it was like a um, $300 ticket. Is that what we did? 350. 350 for three yeah. days of full education um, and connection. And in Oklahoma, we're doing a sliding scale. So it ranges from, I think, 100 to 450 or 500. And we're really encouraging people that can pay extra to pay extra because we do have people that want to come. And they're like, I literally cannot afford it. I could manage to squeeze the time off of work, but I don't have, you know, $300, even though it's a steal of a deal, it's just not in the budget. So we're like, okay, it's more important this, to us that we get this information out than it is that we make money on it because we're crazy. and apparently we like to be poor too <laughs> yeah i mean we already are why not just keep rolling down that uh avenue you know um yeah i, I think you follow, um, you follow your heart and money eventually comes and that's what i firmly believe so right now you know our our hearts led us to being able to do this in oklahoma yeah and i think you know I, wendy and i talk about this a lot you know for us the you know we're on a bit of a mission you know we have a goal um, you know, and that really is to transform how people grow their food and medicine and how people talk about it. Um, you know, we'd, we'd really like to see everybody, um, you know, working with their neighbors and, and growing food together and figuring out how to be a community. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that starts with just talking. I think there's a lot of um, different chapters of organic, biodynamic, regenerative, and, um, you know, everyone, there's like dogma around it. So they don't really talk to each other. And I feel like the more we all talk to each other, the louder our voices and the more we can get done, uh, cause the louder your voices, the more they have to listen to you. Um, so yeah. I am massively multitasking here. Sorry, everybody. My ear pods just died. The cat is meowing at me and the instant pop is pot is beeping for chicken. So um, <laughs> oh. I missed the last little bit of what James said, but I'm sure it's spot on. <laughs> I, uh, I was talking about okay. slaying giants. I just realized I, my mic was muted too. I've been talking to the wall. So uh, uh, next to <laughs> Um, I was just going to say uh, they have a wonderful website up at sunabis.com if you want to find out information about um, their farm specifically and the different uh, uh, educational offerings that they have. Um, they do have an upcoming KNF class. Do you guys want to talk to us about that? Yeah, Wendy's been doing uh, Korean natural farming forever. This is the first class she's putting on. I'm sure she's got all kinds to say about it. Yeah, I was going to say that I was literally on the phone with my co-teacher, Kobe Guy, uh, right before uh, the podcast. And we were kind of organizing our class schedule and stuff and talking about um, how to do it the most appropriately for the students that are coming. Um, we really wanted to offer this entirely out at the farm. But our county is not super keen on that idea because of land ordinance zonings and things and, you know, just a bunch of political bureaucratical BS, if you will. And um, so 
you know, we're talking about possibly having a little bit of at the homestead because we have a cabin here. So we're like, you know, we could do some of the portion of, you know, kind of seated learning at the cabin and then, you know, roll out to the farm and do some of the work out at the farm. But we're, we're currently, you know, kind of shifting and organizing. And it's also a great lesson for anybody that is in uh, really any business, but especially farming businesses is learning how to just kind of pivot and adapt and pivot and adapt until you find the thing that really um, seems to be right. And we've both, Kobe and I both have been uh, in, let's see, we both took class from Chris Trump in Idaho. It was his second uh, class that he'd done on the mainland. And I think that was in 20. 17 or 18. I can't remember which I lose track of time. Um, and so we both have been practicing KNF pretty exclusively ever since then. And, uh, he, Kobe farms, um, com- uh, <laughs> conventional food. <laughs> He's uh, mainly farms like peppers and, um, you know, tomatoes and corn and whatever, things like that in a small farm in Sacramento. So he, I love the fact that he's going to be teaching with because he really brings a different experience to this in the terms of utilizing it for, um, you know, food crops, agriculture. Um, he also does some cannabis and it, so it's really cool to listen to him talk about how, you know, cannabis is a very different plant and how it actually responds differently. And it's fun because it'll respond to, to KNF practices really quickly. Uh, whereas sometimes other food crops move a little slower, but you can kind of see things happen overnight with weed a lot of times. Um, and yeah, so we're doing five day intensive hands-on and the, you know, the thing that I bring to this is that I have been tailoring this to cannabis now for five years and have found some really good, um, you know, quote unquote feeding schedules, if you will, that work for almost all cultivars of cannabis inside, outside greenhouse, whatever it may be, as well as, you know, understanding what works and what doesn't. And, you know, one of the main things that we find with cannabis and Korean natural farming is that people really want to tinker all the time. People come from, you know, hydroponics or indoor where you're, you're just have to be in there all the time, fiddle faddling around with lighting cycles and temperatures and fans and soil and water and this and that and on and on. And it's kind of one of the biggest lessons is like, just back off a little bit and, you know, let it work. And, you know, you don't need to tinker quite so much with weed as you do with other things, but there are certain things you definitely should not do. And there are definitely certain things that you should do and, you know, what those might look like. So anyway, long rambling kind of story about how we're really excited. It's going to be a pretty small class. And so I kind of love that because you'll get like really direct hands-on answering. And when we have these very, very large classes that Kobe and I have both been involved in for years now, people get a little intimidated and they don't want to ask their questions. And when you get into these smaller, intimate, you know, less than a couple dozen people, or maybe even only four or five people, you know, people can really have their experience dialed into what they need. And so, you know, at first I was like, well, maybe it'll be big class. I'm like, no, it's actually pretty small. And we're kind of stoked on that. So yeah, it's going to be really fun. Cool. Um, I did want to mention too, I I back you up on the Oklahoma stuff. There's a lot of people that uh, are still uh, learning how to do things the right way in Oklahoma. I would say 
maybe five to 10% of the, the stuff would actually be on par with what's on the West coast. Um, the rest of it is just mass produced stuff. Oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, questionably passing testing. Um, you certainly see it a lot. I mean, you can get ounces out here for 35 bucks now, uh, you know, for the, the low grade stuff. So um, <laughs> it's certainly gone uh, uh, as bad as some of the other States, but uh, there's is some good people, you know, there definitely some people do it. I know one or two uh, people that are doing everything kind of more towards the uh, uh, regenerative side of things. And especially my one friend who's out on the Eastern side of the state, he's doing a huge uh, regenerative project and, and really killing it out there um, uh, up in the mountains and the Ozarks there. But uh, uh, it, there really is kind of a, a gap between the, the high end stuff and the state and the, the rest of it. So I definitely agree with you there. And then um, it's really cool to hear about the, the crew natural farming stuff out there. Uh, but what are some of the, I guess, uh, common misconceptions with, with KNF? I know obviously everyone immediately wants to go to labs, but uh, I guess one question that I have is, uh, you know, is it possible to overdose with liquid IMO? I've had uh, people ask me that. And uh, I think unless you're drowning the plants in it, I don't think it's a problem, but do you have an opinion on that? I don't think you can overdose limo. That being said, it's a waste of resources. So the, the thing is, there's a whole kind of separate conversation to be had that people kind of miss, which is that, you know, this does use sugar, which is not generally grown, you know, locally or produced locally. It's one of the few inputs that is, you know, the base of a lot of the Korean natural farming um, uh, solutions. And so again, just kind of coming back to that, being conscientious about what you're doing and how to make things go the furthest. And, you know, this may be a little bit of my, I have a little bit of background in seamstress and it was like measure twice, cut once. And if you run out of fabric, you're kind of screwed. So I kind of bring that mentality to this where I'm like, okay, you know, if you can take a handful of IMO and turn it into a thousand pounds simply by propagating it out on different substrates, why would you not do that? Um, somebody literally just wrote to me before this podcast and said, you know, I have a KNF question. Can I ask you? And um, I basically was, was just like, you know, yeah, you could ask. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily be able to answer, but definitely ask. And they said, well, you know, I have a friend who took Chris Trump's class. Don't know you heard me too. And, and then he said, I don't need to get any further. I can just leave it at IMO too and make liquid IMO with that. Um, is that correct? And I'm like, well, yes, you can, but is it best practices? In my opinion, no, it's not. You get different diversity blooming if you can take it to at least IMO three or four. If you want to add more nitrogen to your farm, you need to take it to IMO five. And again, if I can take something that is, you know, quite reliably a rather rough learning curve with IMO, getting good IMO collections, like getting very consistent, good collections. It takes some time. It takes some effort. It's not the easiest thing to do. So why would you take that and have to do it all the time continually? If you can just do it, you know, three or four times a year, and then utilizing that makes something that lasts you for the next three or four years. For me, there's an efficiency and there is a matter of, you know, really knowing that growing is hard enough. And if you run out of IMO and you need more, you know, it takes a while to build that stash back up again. 
So, um, you know, as far as can you overdo it? Probably not. But should you maybe be conscientious about your usage? I would say yes, definitely. What are some of the other common questions you get about KNF? Oh, gosh, there's so many now. Um, people really are very obsessed with the idea of, you know, knowing exactly what things are in every IMO collection. So it's like, okay, well, what is, you know, what species are those? What's this? What's that? I'm like, you know, it's, it's not about that. You, yes, you can. I mean, they're, they're doing soil DNA now. Like you can actually get the DNA of every single microbe in that chunk of soil, but if you're doing it right, there's literally going to be thousands upon thousands of different species in that one little chunk of IMO. So, you know, do we need to know what every single one of them is? My opinion is no. If it works really well, like I could run you down a huge list of things that, that are in IMO, you know, like more than likely there's going to be Bacillus subtilis in every single sample because Bacillus subtilis is in all soil more than likely you're going to have some fusarium in there because fusarium is in almost all soil. Um, you know, there are certain microbes that are prolific everywhere. So those are always going to be there, but whether or not it is a umycete or a, you know, facultative anaerobe or this or that, or which lactobacillus species it is, I, I can't say for sure. And it's going to change because what was there in the spring is not necessarily prevalent in the summer, which is not necessarily prevalent in the fall, which is not necessarily prevalent under the oak versus the madrone versus the conifer. So again, you know, it's, it's a lot of diversity that we want and people really get stuck on these very, very specifics that I'm just like, but it's not that important. They're like, well, that's a new my seat. That's bad. I'm like, not necessarily like this is, it's not. You can't, it's not a good, bad situation. Like, you know, you're literally judging nature that has figured out how to work without you. I think she's got it pretty well dialed in. Maybe we just sit back and let her take the reins and help her along instead of trying to like micromanage it so much. James, what do you, what do you see a lot of with, I see a lot of questions, but what is your kind of take on natural farming questions that we get a lot of? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, I mean, obviously people ask a lot of questions about where to collect IMO, you know, there's a lot of confusion around that, um, you know, and I, I think the most confusion comes from the amount of information that is out there that is differing. There's a lot of information on Korean natural farming. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, downsides to it is that it's fun to do. So once you kind of have made your first FPJ or OHN or whatever, um, you want to tell everybody about it. And um, you don't necessarily have uh, you know, the practice down really it's, it is a steep learning curve. And, uh, that's why, um, you know, if, if you can't come to our class, definitely go to, you know, Chris Trump or, or somebody else who is a respected elder in the natural farming community who can actually guide you through these processes. Because for me, um, I know that, you know, I dabbled in Korean natural farming, but 
I didn't know what the hell an IMO pile smelled like. I mean, baking bread, sure, but you know, baking bread smells different to different people. I know Wendy and I, uh, you know, the way she described the IMO pile smelling was not how I smelled it. But because we were both there at the pile, um, I was able to know that, okay, this is a good IMO pile. This is what I should be smelling for. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think probably a, a lot of what we see is just people asking questions around bad practices. Probably the biggest one is molasses. Um, you know, they, people are hitting us up in the group or whatever. And it's like, what, it, you know, I did this, this and this, and we're asking what the process was. And inevitably they bring up the fact that they use molasses, uh, which is never, ever, ever used in Korean natural farming. Uh, we don't use it for anything. Uh, the whole point of the sugar is uh, osmotic pressure. We're trying to, you know, pull liquids out from the plant material. So uh, molasses has a bunch of water in it. It completely defeats the purpose. Um, so yeah, probably the whole molasses versus sugar thing is probably the biggest point of confusion. Uh, but yeah, generally, I, I would say there's just a lot of conflicting information out there. People don't know where to get good sources of information and even some of those you know like chris says to use turmeric in his ohn and now he'll tell you not to do that but the video is still out there so people continue to do it it may not necessarily be bad for your plant it certainly isn't bad for your health if you're taking it for human health but it isn't what was taught it isn't proper ohn so unless you're doing side by sides and you have all this data to back up that hey this works better or it doesn't work or whatever you're kind of just, you know, shooting in the dark. Um, and that's one of the things that we really like to do is to have side-by-sides and, and really try to have some data. So uh, part of the plan moving forward is to uh, form a nonprofit with organic cultivators so we can uh, apply for research grants um, and raise some money to uh, you know, actually go teach uh, people in impoverished countries how to make their own inputs so they're not reliant on uh, Monsanto and companies that, um, you know, force them to sign draconian contracts and they end up, you know, really kind of having horrible lives over it. Um, but yeah, there's just not enough research and there's a lot of bad information. And we hope that, you know, through conversations and people playing around and experimenting properly, you know, having a control group and, uh, you know, taking notes diligently that we can start to suss some of this data out and, uh, actually have a good record um, you know that people can go back to and, and look at we had uh, some questions from chat um, uh, there was somebody asked about bactillus amphiquiliensis um, and then said that it it helped their plants quite a bit and boosted uh, IPM resistance that is absolutely the case but I do want to bring something up that has just come to light recently. And it was a, a paper published just recently uh, by Kevin McKernan, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Let me pull it up here. Um, so they actually found that the biocontrol agent Amphicoliensis was negatively impacting um, uh, testing. So in state testing, it was causing people to falsely fail for um, aspergillus. Uh, and it was also uh, uh, damaging the, the testing regimen. Uh, they actually have a really interesting paper on that. So uh, I definitely would read up more on that and be mindful that if you're doing cannabis, that might not be one that you want to use until this gets sorted out a little bit more. 
Um, uh, again, it, this is really, really new stuff. It's just a couple of days old that this was published, but, um, uh, oh, did I hit the wrong button? I did. Uh, anyways, so definitely something I want to get him back on the show to talk about this topic. Um, but it is something that, uh, uh, is, is an issue, uh, that, um, I think people need to be aware of and something that I wasn't aware of until, uh, he messaged me about it the other day. So if you're failing for aspergillus and you're scratching your head and you're using a lot of Bactillus amphiquiliensis, that could absolutely be uh, the source of your, uh, your frustration. Um, uh, we had another person in chat. I think this is a question more for Wendy and, and James. Um, I find that there are many disagreements on the translation of KNF teachings. Um, this makes buying the right book hard. Most people are saying aim for the orange cover. Do you guys have any thoughts? Hmm. That's a rabbit hole. Wendy, do you have a good, what's your, what's your recommendation on the CGNF stuff? I mean, I, I honestly, for me, um, I know Wendy would know his name. I think it's, there's a, there's a guy named Jeff who has like a bunch of materials that aren't even released to the public. So there's all this stuff out there and, and there's certainly, um, things that have been mistranslated. I, personally haven't really read anything other than what was published on the CGNF site, which also has stuff in there where you, you you know, you read it and then you will go and watch like Eric Weinert's videos or Chris Trump's videos. And there's stuff in there that, um, you know, goes against each other. Um, and I think for me, what has been the most beneficial has been the KNF clubhouse. Um, and there that, you know, there's, there are all these practitioners that get together and they talk talk about these things so you can ask those questions and or if you don't want to ask questions you just listen to really smart people talk about all the uh, mistakes they've made on their farm and plants they've killed experimenting and um, a lot of this stuff uh, some of these people actually uh, you know taught or learned from Master Cho um, so they have some insights on some of this stuff that isn't available in a book or on YouTube so Unfortunately, I don't know that there really is a great all around authority on it. Um, it's something we've talked about doing is, you know, putting together like a little guidebook for people. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I know the whole situation with like the Cho family and all the information uh, is, is kind of up in the air and, you know, some stuff they don't want released. And, um, you know, for us, we, we, Feel like it really should be as open source as possible you know if you if you can't make it and you have to buy it from somebody that's fine but um you know uh i know there's some stuff out there that isn't available to the public so um i'm not sure what to tell you on that one wendy might have a better recommendation on an actual book um but i think finding good teachers that have done this stuff get it if if you're not um in clubhouse find somebody to get you an invite um, and find uh, the KNF and Jadam Clubhouse that Kobe runs. It's every Wednesday at 1.30 Pacific time, I think. And uh, yeah, again, uh, the people that are in there are indispensable. The really smart people from all over the world, all different walks of life. They farm all different types of crops. Um, so they're doing all different stuff. And uh, like today was, you know, I learned a ton just from the hour and a half that I was on there today, um, stuff that I'll take away and go, oh, okay, I, next time if we have to do that, 
uh, we, we know how to, you know, change it. So it's beneficial for us. So, um, yeah, to find other people that are practicing, find good teachers, go to a class if you can, um, get the book for sure. Um, but I wouldn't use that as your definitive source. Yeah, so the, the CGNF book that's available on CGNF Hawaii is probably the best book out there, but there are still issues with it. Um, somebody was just talking online and they were saying that, you know, well, I don't need to take a class because I can buy a $15 book and do it just as well. And the person that, um, yeah, James, the, the, yeah well, and the person that James was refer referencing, Jeff Merriman, he was just like, yeah, and absolutely. You can spend $15 and a couple of years learning from all your failures because that's what it is. This isn't something that is easily teachable through a book or through an online course, unfortunately. There are, making FBJ, I mean, honestly, go out in the morning before the sun hits the dew of the leaves, you know, within, uh, not within 24 hours of rain. So wait until, you know, day after it rains, if it rains a lot, uh, take all the growing tips of the plants, chop them up into about quarter size pieces, mix them equal weight of brown sugar, put a cap on it, leave it in a cool, dark place for about seven to 10 days, strain it off. You made FPJ. You don't need to actually do a hands-on course for that necessarily. However, there are still nuances. People just recently, somebody sent me a picture. They're like, Ugh, what did I do wrong? It's FPJ. It's supposed to be simple. I'm like, well, your plant material is in very large chunks and it wasn't packed down. So it got moldy because there was too much airspace. You have to like still compress out some of that airspace and that sugar cap needs to be on there really tight so that you're not introducing the facultative anaerobes like lactobacillus that are naturally in our air. Those will get in through all of that and kind of mess your, mess your FPJ up. Um, or, you know, it's possible that your plant material had dirt on it and those soil microbiology will actually create a mold layer. So, you know, as simple as something like a fermented plant juice should be, there still are subtle nuances and you don't get those from any book that I've ever seen. Um, a lot of this is passed down almost as an oral history, if you will, where it's like, okay, you know, this is why we do IMO this certain way. This is how you do it um, successfully. You know, this is how we know that we've been able to teach people successful IMO collections year after year after year after year. I tried for 12 times before I took class because I was determined I was going to get a good IMO collection before I went to class. And, you know, by the time I was pulling my last boxes two days before I was heading to Idaho, I was like, all right, I guess not. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but there's obviously something I'm missing. And it was like, okay, I, was, I wasn't cooking my rice exactly incorrectly, correctly. And I wasn't, um, I didn't have the right kind of rice at the time. So, you know, there's just, subtle nuances about this and you absolutely can learn from a book and through trial and error 100% but in order to learn it faster and you know because I tried for a couple of years before I really took a class and knew what I was doing and I was just you know you know playing around trying to kind of figure things out before I was like this is taking me way too long <laughs> like <laughs> there's a technique to this that I don't have um, there also was, I mean, I, I don't recall ever the, the book that I had originally was the Sara book translated, I believe from Korean, possibly into Indian and then possibly back into English. I don't know what happened, but man, that book was wildly inaccurate. So I was doing all kinds of things wrong. Um, 
Jeff does have a ton of amazing, you know, he's, he's, we call, I call him the, I monikered him the keeper of the flame because he was entrusted with a lot of literature that is not meant to be outside of Korea. But the instructors were worried that should something happen to their country, all this information would be lost. Um, that being said, they didn't want to give it to just anybody. So he ended up with a lot of it and it's, there's some phenomenal stuff in there. I mean, it's really incredible. You go deeper and deeper and it's like, you start going into like bacterial mineral water brewers and or bacterial microbial brewers, I should say. Um, and just some cool stuff that like, I haven't even had a chance to implement yet, but it has taken me years to understand the backbone of you know, the quiet theory of KNF before I've been willing to even delve into some of those deeper practices. And uh, again, it's just, it's something that really does require time and dedication. And, you know, it's not, it's not something you just get to jump into and be crack a in after two months. It, it takes time and people would rather, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, eh, too hard. And so they go to Jadam, which is another phenomenal practice. I don't utilize it. Um, it's not my jam. I like to have things that I can ingest in my body and, you know, get on my hands and not smell like death for the next week. And, uh, a lot of Jadam fertilizers and, and their practices are more of a putrefication process, which still will release the nutrients in the plants and make them available to other plants. And, um, it's a great step towards something, but it's, it's not the one that I enjoy doing. So, for me, if it brings me joy and happiness and passion, I will do it, even if it includes more ritual and a slower time frame, uh, because it brings me joy and passion and happiness. Yeah, I th I think um, you know another thing to mention too is um, even though five days of a uh, natural farming class seems like a lot, there's more information than you'll ev than you could ever get in those five days. So even that five days is really just um, giving you a solid base from a teacher. Um, but, but, you know, the questions that people ask each class is different because everyone's from a different walk of life. They're applying this um, on their own farm in their own system. Uh, so I think there's, you know, there's also that additional benefit where you're getting the wisdom of a teacher who's maybe wouldn't have been covering something, but because someone is asking, because you have the opportunity to ask questions and, and dive deep, um, you know, you get to actually parse that subject out a little bit more than if you were just watching a really detailed informative video. Um, there's something, uh, you know, to be said for having a back and forth dialogue. Um, that's even better than, you know, even just commenting online. Um, there's information that can be imparted, I think, uh, that's really important. And that's like Wendy said, um, it is kind of like an oral tradition. There's, there's stuff that does get passed down that I don't know that people, if they're writing it down, it's, it's, you know, it's not always passed around. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty and, interesting. And to, sometimes to things change anyway. like with right. KNF as, as things shift. And as we are like, Oh, oops, that was a mistranslation. We misunderstood it. If it's written down, it's a lot less flexible than if it's told like, well, you know, originally I thought turmeric was a great addition to OHN. And then afterwards I realized that, no, that isn't a good idea. Don't do that. Um, and, and real quick, the orange covered book is the Jadam book. I, I believe that's the one that's being, that I just right. uh, saw the chat and I'm like, oh, that's, that's actually not the KNF book. That's a Jadam book. 
it is a phenomenal book for Jadam. And there are a few things in it that I use. Uh, but more and more, I've realized like I don't need a pesticide because KNF creates plants that are strong enough that you don't really use it. Um, we do use JWA when if we need it in a pinch, which is a Jadam wedding agent. Uh, it's basically a homemade soap. Pretty simple. Kills just about everything. Smothers them. It's great. Uh, I don't need to go buying, you know, $300 per gallon. That's the hoard one. Oh, oh, that's the one. Yeah, I, it's literally up above my, isn't that the Sarah one? Yeah, I believe that's the one I have. I was just looking at it the other day and laughing. Um, I had all these little tabs and things yeah, on it. That's the Sarah one. Yep, yep. Yeah. So there's, um, <clears throat> the, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's got some interesting information in it, but it has a lot of like kind of not good information too. And some of it's confusing. I mean, I just flipped to this random page. Use WSCA water soluble calcium when the plants overgrow. Uh, <laughs> what? Number there's seven. That stuff. Use WSCA when the initial growth of the crop is poor. Okay, I get that. Use WCA when the leaves discolor and lack luster. Not necessarily. I mean, you don't necessarily want to add water-soluble calcium when the leaves are discolored. Why are they discolored? Why do they lack luster? What are, you know, this is kind of like the cow mag drum that people were beating all the time in the cannabis community back in the day. Um, so, you know, it's use WSCA when the physiological drop is severe. I, I, I have no idea what that means. So it's kind of a fun one to look at, um, but it's, you know, there's, there's some flaws in it for sure. Yeah. Uh, IMO, especially just going back to that really is the thing that people really need to take away more than anything else. It really does help. Um, to just a huge amount of uh, um, different things in the garden, everything from disease resistance to flavor to plant vigor to all kinds of stuff. So, and it really is uh, something that you want to kind of focus on when you're learning KNF more than, you know, some of the other ones that are uh, a little less tricky, I guess. I definitely wanted to kind of reiterate what you said on that. Has Wendy told you her um, root aphid story? which is actually a continuing story. Oh, we can trade root aphid stories. Uh, um, root aphids I've actually, get, you know, they, you know, they, uh, took, they just get killed. It took a while to figure out how to get rid of them, but we figured it out. I'm oh, curious nice. to hear your story. I was going to say, Steve, I'm pretty sure I've told it to you before that we, um, this was four, three, four, five years. I don't know how many years ago. Um, Gosh, I could almost backtrack it. It must be three and a half years ago or maybe four years ago now. Um, Cause I know I'd already been doing KNF for a little while. Um, but I was transplanting a plant and I was like, oh my God, I think that's a root aphid. Like I'm pretty sure that's, a, that's definitely looks like an aphid and it's on the roots. It's probably a root aphid. And I sent some pictures to Suzanne and I said, root aphid, right? And she went, oh yeah, I hope you didn't take those out of the farm yet. And I said, no, they're in a veg room, but you know, I mean, you know, one of my, I, I kind of need them. I don't know what to do here. And she said, okay, um, go get Bavaria Bassiana. I'm like, all right. So 
I ended up calling BioWorks. There was a lady who worked there at the time and she wanted me to do a trial for them of the wettable powder versus the liquid form of this uh, Bavaria Bassiana. And so, oh, holy criminy. Yeah, no, that, the mine was minor compared to that, but whoa. Um, I, so filmed I, I, that a, I filmed that at a grow. I was like, how did you let it get this bad? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. How did you not notice that? It's like he's rearing them. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. You got all life so stages pretty. there. Everything from eggs, nips, uh, regular adults, and oh. winged adults. I'm like puking <laughs> a little in my mouth. It's hard. Um, trying like, look at how pretty they are. There, they're kind of green and peach colored. They're kind of like a <laughs> rainbow. Um, anyway, so I went to go get the BB, and uh, they wouldn't sell it to me because I needed a operator's license number. I thought they meant I needed a pesticide applicator license. So I studied for like five days. I went up to Eureka, which is about an hour and a half away. I took this test. I got the thing. I was like, yay. And they were like, oh, you didn't need this. You just needed to say, hey, I need a number. We would have given you an operator number. I was like, all right, well, whatever. Fine. Give me the stuff. So about the Bavaria Bassiana, I came home. I was getting ready to do this trial for BioWorks and I couldn't find the root aphids. I was like, okay, where'd they go? They're, they're, they're like gone. They're gone. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like, there's no way they're gone. Like they have, they don't disappear. I don't think they disappear. And I called Suzanne. I'm like, they don't like disappear, do they? She's like, no, they don't disappear. Of course they don't disappear. Like they get worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, I know I can't find them. I'm like, I've been looking for an hour turning pots upside down. I can't find them. And she's like, okay, well, you're probably just not looking very well. And I'm like, no, I've got my little scope out. I'm not like, dude, I'm not stupid. Like I know how to use this thing. I don't understand. And finally, about 10 minutes later, I started finding um, what I thought was little chunks of perlite. There was one that was subtly moving. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the root aphid. There was a fungus that was so prolific and so deadly to the root aphids that within eight days, I went from infestation to almost complete eradication. And uh, it was, and I didn't do anything. So I called Suzanne. I said, I finally found them. They're covered in like, fluffy mold and like they're all dead for the most part and she said oh that's the Bavaria Bassan I said no the Bavaria Bassan is in my fridge I haven't even used it yet so I took some samples and I sent some to Cornell University and some to BioWorks and they were DNA sequencing it and things and they they have it down to the species I think but they couldn't take it any further it's something that is you know new and um works really really well for killing root aphids but um you know they're stuck with the you know typical bureaucratic stuff where it you know they, they want to know exactly what it is before they'll allow you to produce it and since they don't know what it is because it's something new they'll never be able to commercially produce it apparently <laughs> yeah this is a great example of why diversity is key yeah because I, I mean I, growing up i always had a vegetable garden i never had a fucking problem with pests the way people have a problem with pests because i was always growing in native soil doing things in a regenerative way even though i didn't know what i was doing um yeah diversity is key we've we've only managed to get rid of them with uh, repeated doses of bavaria bassiana isaria fumisaraceae metarizium on rotation uh, and then after about two or three weeks of that once we've knocked the numbers down to very very low um then we come in with uh aureus and rove beetles and they seem to finish off the, the survivors um, but it does take a while. It could be a huge pain in the ass. Not something you want to deal with in flower, that's for sure. 
but yeah, no, it sounds like you have uh, uh, the right biodiversity in your soil with your different inoculants that you've got going on there. And uh, I've got it figured out without even having to do all that. So it's cool. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty awesome little, um, you know, accidental experiment of like, Ooh, you know, we did something really cool there. And that was one of the first years that I was using my native soil with IMO and making my own potting soil. Um, not a hundred percent pot, not a hundred percent homemade. I was buying some, um, some seedling starter mix and some other mixed bagged soil, but I was using my stuff to kind of, you know, um, expand that out and to make more of it because I couldn't afford to buy tons and tons and tons of soil for all the starts. And, uh, and inevitably ended up being like, well, that was a brilliant accidental, perfect move. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, those types of things is what I'm going to be talking about at your, uh, your conference there on IPMO and all the work we did in Africa. Uh, with the grasshopper control and then some of the different pro things that we've tested it on here. We actually tested it on Japanese beetles in Georgia last year. We, we had a, a couple of roses in the front that were just getting mauled. So we just took them, uh, put them in a bunch of boiling water to kill them real quick uh, and then uh, cooked them with the rice and then uh, and tried it. And it worked really well for the roses out front just because we were already making IMO boxes and stuff and uh, we were already making IPMO and we thought, well, screw it. Let's just try it. So and we have a couple of different things that we'll be talking about on that end. And that's definitely something I think people um, need to think more about is, is that what other ways can they incorporate those native indigenous microorganisms just like you're talking about? And what other ways can they do to diversify their collection methods uh, to try and capture more of those specific ones, you know, by incorporating things like insect frass uh, and things like that into their um, their collections and, and IMO3s especially as well um, can really help bulk those out and increase those being more um, uh, virulent and more uh, abundant in your, uh, your IMO collection. So definitely something that I'm looking forward to talking about it at the conference. Um, the one downside is they will kill your bees. If you uh, spray your bees, be mindful of that. Don't use it with, with plants that have bees on them. <laughs> I was just going to ask you that because that's something that uh, Wendy and I have talked about, uh, you know, was how, uh, you know, discriminating it was going to be. Give me two seconds. I can actually pull a picture up here. I just got to flip back to the, the right month. Here it is. So this bee is a result of that. Let me put him on the screen here. This is a casualty of uh, of that uh, one with the Japanese beetles. Oh wow! So yeah, it uh, coated him up good. Oh poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, be mindful again. You know, don't want to spray it on your squash flowers, your tomato flowers, stuff like that. But you know, great if you need to like whack stuff down that uh, don't have all those. On them, or hey, if you don't have a, you have a greenhouse and it's buttoned up, you know, perfectly safe. But just be mindful that, especially if you're beekeeping, then uh, you would definitely wouldn't want one of those bringing those spores back to a hive. Um, that could very much be bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be the only downside, though. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I think there's. I was just gonna say again, I think there's this, um, you know, level of mindfulness that we, you know, kind of need to be aware of that nature has found a balance and anytime we get our sticky little fingers in there, you know, we're kind of upsetting the balance a little bit. And so just 
again, knowing that, because that is one of the things, right? It's like, well, what species of, you know, fungi are you, you know, encouraging to grow? And we're like, well, we don't really know. We're just assuming that, you know, nature has found the balance and the diversity and we want to encourage that. But we do also need to be aware that we don't really know what we're doing. So you do want to be careful. People are always talking about spraying liquid IMO on cannabis when it's in bloom. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is a terrible idea. And it is. And it's because we don't know what we're spraying. And if you do happen to have a heavy inoculation of liquid IMO that was, um, or a, a, a liquid IMO that was heavy in something like aspergillus, you know, you now have coated your cannabis flowers in something that is going to cause a failure in testing or whatever the other species, as you were mentioning, Steve, that was, that was popping for aspergillus. You could be doing something like that. So depending on what state you're in, if you're, you know, in a legal state and you're legally cultivating, you need to really understand what your testing thresholds are and be mindful about what you're doing in your garden to make sure that you're not, you know, doing that and taking it in the wrong direction. Yeah. And certainly, uh, you know, there's going to be, I'm sure plenty of people that go down the natural farming path that make something pathogenic because they don't know what they're doing. Um, and if you don't, uh, you know, know what it's supposed to be like in the end result. If you don't, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, anyone that is, um, you know, going down this path on a serious level, making compost teas, any type of inoculation like that, I mean, really your own compost, uh, it's a really great investment to get a microscope and actually look and see what you're doing. So you know what you're applying, at least, you know, as, as well as you can know by looking through a microscope. Um, you know, certainly I, I know for me, when I bought a microscope and started actually scoping my teas, uh, I completely changed what I was doing when I was making compost tea. Cause it was like, Oh, I, what I was doing wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, best practice for, uh, growing all the biology that I was after. Absolutely. Um, one of the, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought on that. Um, uh, Anyways, uh, it'll come back to me. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, I, I definitely think people need to be more mindful, especially with uh, microbial testing becoming much um, more frequent that, you, you know, you, you do have to be mindful with these organic inputs because sometimes, just like you're saying, they can cause problems. I had something else I was going to bring up that you, from your stuff here. And I, oh, um, there it is. Uh, did you want to mention too the the Gangier, uh, uh education that you're doing? I know that's also something you have coming up. Yeah, sorry, I was trying to get my phone to unmute. <laughs> Tapping on it, go go. Um, yeah, so Gangier is a, a cannabis sommelier class, basically. Uh, we are about to close open enrollment, actually. So I think you have until Ju uh, the 1st of July is when, oh, and there's maybe two or three spots left. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I know we're, we're getting close to having to sh close it down for the year. Uh, we only take on a certain number of students annually um, because part of it is a two-day in-person training in Humboldt County. So, um, you have a... <clears throat> is I believe 32 modules about 10 hours of instruction 
I feel like I was just backwards. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe 10 modules and 32 hours of instruction, something like that. And accepting from history and law of cannabis all the way through um, cultivation, social, um, uh, societal acceptance, and, and, and that's the wrong I'm totally blanking on it. Um, but really, I think Wendy dropped off there or something. Uh, yeah, it looks like she dropped. Uh, um, so it's a, a certification. I just got dumped. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what just happened? But yeah, it's um, it's basically a sommelier class for cannabis. And so it's not pay to play. That's what we're trying to make very apparent because some people don't pass final exams and they get very upset. And it's 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 tough. It is a tough class. It is not easy. It's not just the information. You also have to learn how to assess cannabis correctly. Um, and I don't mean correctly by like, we say we're right and you're wrong, but rather there is at least four instructors and council members that will assess any given product that is then given to the students during exams. And they have to get within a couple points of what we have all agreed to be a range that is acceptable for that cannabis based on its appearance, its flavor, its aroma, and the experience itself. Uh, experience is subjective. So that is not, that's graded, but not weighted um, for the exams. So we want you to understand what it means when we say, you know, that it has a long duration or a short duration. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely rough. And it's, it's something that I think is very needed in the cannabis industry, because it's no longer like, well, I've decided you grow mids. It's like, well, we actually have somebody who has taken, you know, 30 hours of online training plus two full days of in-person training plus an entire day of exams to actually give this a numerical grade at the end and say that, yes, this scored 88 or whatever the number might be, much like wine is scored. And so it's um it's a phenomenal course. It took us about two years to build out. There's an app that goes um that you have on your phone that you use, which is our systematic assessment protocol to get to that number that we spoke about. And it's pretty cool. The the group of students that has come through and there's about 120 certified ganjiers now. It's um pretty much to a T, just a group of phenomenal human beings who are very, very passionate about cannabis and about the plant. And they all have these amazing stories of health and wellness and, you know, experience and how they got to where they're at with it. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm super proud of all the students who have been a part of this. And, um, and the instructors are like rock stars. I'm just like, holy crap. Like, uh, you know, we've got, you know, Patrick King is on the council and Kevin Jodry and Aaron Varney, who runs Dockside Seattle, which is like the largest dispensary up in Washington. And, you know, Nick Atee, who does who coined Solventless back in the day and Jeff Raber and, you know, Mel Frank, like these are all council members that, you know, we got to sit down with and basically pick weed apart and put it back together in a way that would make this applicable to you know, real life. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a trip. It's really a really cool program. And, um, you know, I really would love to see more women coming through it, especially because I think that 
you know, women have a, like, not, not that men don't have a refined palate, but like, there's something that women can bring to it that we've noticed that, you know, there's um, a little bit more nuances and we tend to be a little bit more flowery with our language sometimes. And, um, and cannabis is such a male dominated industry. I just feel like this is something that women could really crush it out and be like, well, you know, I actually have a certification behind my name that took me a really long time to get and was, you know, is known for being rigorous and extremely difficult. So I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to add to that. Um, the, uh, the time between the classes and taking the actual exam is, you know, most people take a really long time. Like you come to Humboldt, you do your training and then you leave. And you're practicing. Um, it isn't something that you just, um, you know, show up, take your class, take your exam, and, and do your thing. Like you really have to practice at assessing cannabis. And I would say that anyone who's really serious, um, uh, if you own a dispensary or you're a bud tender, and you're, you know, I don't know if any bud tenders make commission, but um, you know, uh, it's really this first section of it is amazing for bud tenders. You walk away really understanding how to assess cannabis, how to grade it properly, um, and how to talk to patients, how to guide them to the right medicine. Um, so I, I feel like uh, all the people I've talked to, I feel like it is uh, super valuable uh, for bud tenders and uh, anyone who, uh, you know, owns a dispensary and uh, employs bud tenders. You know, it's definitely a, a whole new direction for people to kind of go to increase their knowledge on cannabis and especially more on the commercial side. It helps quite a bit for, uh, for helping stores improve the quality of what they're carrying for sure. Um, and uh, provides a lot of access to people that you normally wouldn't have access to, which is also neat. Well, I think I, it's a good, um, you know, we, we always talk about the consumer needing to be educated. Well, you know, the person they talk to when they go into the dispensary is the bud tender. So if the bud tender isn't educated, um, how do we expect the consumer to become educated on what good cannabis is? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of dispensaries have garbage on the shelf. And whether that's because the packaging doesn't hold it well or the farmer didn't know what they were doing or because the way things are moved around, um, they, they need to know that and they need to be educated on that. And in order for that to happen, it has to start at the bud tender level. That's really awesome. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention earlier on your website here on um, organic cultivators, you guys have actually a bunch of resources on the resource section as well, which I think a lot of people don't know about. Um, you have soil mixes, they have KNF recipes and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, do, you, do you want to touch on that for a second? Yeah, we actually, um, so we're starting to work on building out the website. Uh, so you know, we're just going to keep expanding that, um, you know, adding, uh, the, you know, the reading list. So we're, we're adding to that as people add to it. Um, but yeah, we're just, you know, going to keep rolling along and adding resources for people on the website. The goal is to really make the website kind of a repository of information. Uh, you know, we're going to have website links on there. So, you know, we don't want to be the only spot that, you know, you're coming to. We want to um, we want to talk to all the smart people and get everybody in the same room, having the same chat. So that's, that's really what it's about. Um, 
when you went to the uh, page earlier, the old flyer was on there. We did add some new stuff. There's going to be um, a, uh, I, I actually updated it, but um, the uh, Suzanne's going to be doing a workshop um, the day before. Um, so, I mean, you'll have to be coming to the conference for that. I don't know how much it's going to be yet. I'm still working out the details with Suzanne, but that'll be uh, applying beneficial insects in a greenhouse setting. Uh, it's a legal Oklahoma cannabis grow. Uh, she's gonna be bringing samples for people to scope and take pictures of, so you can have your own records of what a uh, properly identified pest is. And uh, yeah, so I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. And then we also added, uh, like you said, the after hours stuff uh, at Ace's Wade Coffee House on there, uh, but yeah. Cool, yeah, I was trying to find the newest version of the flyer here. Uh, so, uh, if you go to the website, I updated it while we were talking. Oh, okay. Yeah, here, one second. Pull it up. Oh, yeah, okay. There we go. All right. So, there's a new flyer for it, you guys, um, if you want to check that out. Uh, tinfoil hat competition. Uh, you got um, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, Different workshop with Susan on Suzanne on uh, Thursday. So definitely looking forward to that as well. Cool. Very awesome. And then Aces of Eights is uh, owned by a friend of mine uh, up in Oklahoma City. It's not very far from the venue and uh, you'll have all kinds of cool stuff as a band on Saturday. So uh, definitely uh, a good time uh, and a really cool smoking lounge where you can kind of come hang out, uh, have some good coffee and, and smoke some good herb. Kind of has a little bit of like a, a European vibe to it. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I just I was just there today. I just checked it out today and uh, met DJ and Kara. And, uh, they're super good people. So um, I'm excited to uh, hang out and smoke some weed with everybody, and you know, do the uh, the after hours, uh, you know, networking. And uh, if you know, anybody who's watching, um, we do have a YouTube channel. We've been putting videos up from the first conference on there. Uh, definitely go watch Dan Kittredge. He's going to be expanding on that talk. Uh, so you'll want to go check out that first talk. And uh, it's it's about three and a half hours. Uh, it, it'll break your brain. Um, super, super smart guy. Uh, been uh, an organic farmer for over 30 years. And... Uh, you know, he laughs at stuff like uh, banana tea. You know, he's uh, we tell him some of the stuff that that uh, happens in like the online organic gardening community or the cannabis uh, industry specifically. Uh, he's kind of baffled. Um, he he wasn't sure why you would take a clone of a plant. He smokes weed, uh, but it just uh, you know he's a, a regular market crop farmer, and uh, but he has some really really good ideas uh um on soil science and uh you know he's he has a, a good schooling background and has uh talked to a lot of uh elders in the community and uh yeah i, I highly recommend going and finding his talks on youtube there's like 12 hours his principal biological systems i know um he's redoing it so it's not uh so jumbled uh, but it's it's a great 12 hours. If, if you got time, go go watch those 12 hours. And uh, he's a, a wealth of information for sure. All the speakers are really. 
Uh, looks like we lost Wendy again, uh, but being out and been humbled, uh, the internet can be often hard to come by. I know even when we're out there uh, for the, the conference in the spring, it's always hard to get any kind of service at all up there in, in most of it. So uh, the one downside to living in the Redwoods, for sure. Uh, one of the only downsides, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Or bears getting in your garbage. That's, yeah. That's the only other one I can think of. <laughs> Um, any anything else you wanted to mention as far as the event here? Um, I guess we'll start to wrap up the show. Uh, uh, anything else interesting going on at the uh, farm as well? You guys, want to, you want to mention the the farm a little bit more? We didn't really touch much on that. We have some. Yeah, some we're things. yeah we're expanding the farm. We're we're going to be doing some more natural uh, or not natural, but uh, more regular farming stuff. So uh, growing more vegetables and fruits. Uh, the plan is to get a rabbit tree going. Um, so we'll have meat rabbits and, uh, uh, we, we got some turkeys this year, uh, bear ate almost all those. We had 40 turkeys and then we got down to six. Um, so we, we ordered more turkeys. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're just trying to expand the, the regular farming stuff. Um, and we're, you know, working on our other projects, working on launching the skincare line, uh, Wendy. Uh, when Papa and Barkley won their awards for their skincare stuff, uh, Wendy uh, was right up there with them uh, the same year, but uh, you know she didn't have a bunch of money to capitalize. So um, we're trying to work on that now. Uh, we have some some people that are interested, and hopefully we can get it out to everybody that really needs it and we can help them. Um, it's really great stuff. So, um, but yeah, we're just like I said, we're trying to expand. The regular operations, we just got a water pump out there so we can take showers and, and drink water, which was like kind of a big hurdle for us because we don't have drinking water out there. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I do have a question for you though. Um, so I'm very interested in the aquaponics thing. I, um, from the outside looking in, I don't ever want to do it. I fucking had <laughs> fish forever. I, you know, I was in the fish hobby and, uh, so like after my last tank was like 120 gallon fresh water, um, fully planted with a giant cichlid in it. So a total pain in the ass, um, complete wrong fish to have if you can have a plant to take, but um, I prefer to do things the hardest way possible. Um, but my question is, um, are you, when in my planted tank, uh, I was at a point where I was definitely having to fertilize my tank um to keep plants in there and i'm just wondering how often are you having to test your water and adjust whatever you're putting in there because i know it's just not fish waste right you're having to to add some other things correct oh yeah so there's kind of two different ways you can do it so most of the time what i'm doing for at least for commercial stuff is testing between once and twice a month and then just making minor adjustments with you know various inputs to to rebalance it now um, there's another gentleman who we actually had on episode 251 uh, in Vietnam, and I'm looking forward to getting him back on the show, um, who's Quan Con Femme, who's actually um, uh, done all of this and figured out the math with a lot of the KNF inputs using liquid IMO fermentation 
uh, and, and is basically using those strictly for all of his aquaponic inputs. So he's doing banana tree husks for uh, potassium. And um, uh, I forget what the other ones were when he was talking on the show, but his ones for iron and, and he's got it all figured out as far as the different and calcium and all the rest of it. So, um, and that's, that's something that I think that we can really get towards and kind of replace a lot of the way that we think about adding fertilizers just with these organic inputs, utilizing the kind of stuff. Uh, that we were talking about. In fact, there's actually um, anyone that's interested in listening to the show, shoot an email to open nutrient project at Gmail. Um, I've actually been slowly compiling along with some other people, uh, a master list of these different inputs. So um, how this works is you have your entry level part here in the database. Um, you have your um, a liquid testing for all of your liquids. So when you're making ferments or teas or whatever, you can test your nutrient levels with the different nutrient ranges and stuff like that. Links to the manufacturer, where to purchase, costs, number per test, test kit, anything that's useful that you're going to need to know. And we have the same thing for soil tests, I'm fleshing that out a little bit more still, but um, you have a lot of, of that stuff. Um, and then we have, let me go through here. Uh, and then single input and multi inputs, again, waiting for people to start participating on some of the stuff. But um, I have a, a kind of data mine and all these have links back to the source material, uh, either at the top of the page or wherever, but back to either Dr. Dukes or one of the other ones that lists all the different nutrient contents. Right. So if you're trying to figure out, man, like I need to add nitrogen. Well, here's your top nitrogen based by minimum average level in the plant. Uh, and then what part of the plant, and then you can use that to figure out what you need to add to your system and what blends uh, that you might want to make for your soil mixes or your, uh, you know, ferments or whatever for aquaponics or living soil. And it's kind of, again, the same kind of vein that you're talking about, trying to get all these different uh, tribes of organic into one data set that we can kind of use to like get some answers out of this stuff. So if you're looking for inputs on what to do, again, this is kind of a, an open source project. I want to get this into a website format where people have access to this publicly for now. We're just doing this as a private database to help get it finished off and fleshed out. I put a ton of work into this. We cover um, micro macronutrients, uh, your heavy metals that you have to worry about. Um, there's a ton of additional information as well. EPA limits, um, other hyper accumulators, um, and, and other links to other data sources, other inputs, um, and with the different links from them uh, and what the ratios are. So it's really kind of uh, trying to get as much information as possible on the nutrient content of different plants that you might use for making uh, compost or uh, ferments or whatever else into one organized place along with the different methodologies. So, um, you know, having the different CANF inputs and JADAM inputs and other things that people can utilize to, you know, what did you do uh, with your normal method and you test the nutrients, what were they? And, and let everybody else know so we can start to kind of crowdsource this because it's way too much data for anyone to try and take on personally. You know, even a university, it's just too much information. Um, we do need to crowdsource this if we're going to get the answer. But if we do this once, we can start adding plants from all over the world. We can figure out how to make fertilizers, make this whole database free to everybody and have this as a giant you know, repository for you know, replacing, you know, you want to go to war with Monsanto. That's how you do it. You know what yeah, I mean? You yeah. got to, you know, get that information together and then get it out there and disseminate it, make it into a phone app that anyone can download or whatever else. And, and, and that's how you beat them is making that, that fertilizer information available. And that, I think this is going to be, you know, a big step towards trying to make that happen. Yeah. I love it, dude. And I, I would love to see how, um, 
we, we should definitely talk more about how uh, we can work together on that because I'd like to see that um, happen for sure. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to uh, fighting Monsanto and that kind of thing, um, I think that that might be the wrong track. Um, I think, um, you know, certainly if you look at the history of that company, um, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't want to be producing uh, weed killer. It's just what makes them money, right? Um, and uh, and one, of, uh, one of the things Kevin said um, at the last conference, which I actually put in like a little scissor reel, um, you know, he said, you can't, um, you can't really blame people for doing what they're taught, right? And uh, I think that the best way to quote unquote fight the big fertilizer companies and, and big farms is uh, to show them that this way is cheaper. You know, we, and I think that um, the more that we can get data like that um, and uh, show uh, true trials um, and prove it out, and, and it is happening, more and more large commercial farms are moving towards natural farming principles, certainly with the, uh, the fertilizer issues that are happening right now, it's a fucking mad dash. And uh, so people uh, with this knowledge, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be at a premium now. Um, and I think the smartest thing for us to do is to make sure that we don't lord it above them. Um, we are going to have to reach out and um, work with them in a way. They're not fucking going away. They got a ton of money. Like they'll squeeze everybody out if they want to. Um, but uh, we can have we can work more for food sovereignty and teach people how to farm for themselves and grow their own medicine and fight for the ability to do so. Um, and I think all of these big companies, inevitably, they're going to be on the same path just because it's cheaper. Um, I th if, if, uh, if for those of you who don't know, um, Dan Kittredge, uh, one of the speakers, he's the executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association. And their whole goal is to incre increase the nutrient density of the food supply. And one of the ways that they're doing that is they have, I think they're on their second prototype of this meter. Um, and again, it's like an open source thing. They're a nonprofit. Um, they've been getting, you know, just by donation doing this um, thing. But their idea is that through um, spectrography that they, um, by shining a light at the skin of an apple or at an egg, um, they'd be able to tell the nutrient content or the, the, the nutrient value based on um, data that they're collecting uh, with the meters right now. Um, and I think he said it costs about a million dollars a crop to get all of the data that they're going to need to get these initial data sets um, to start down this path and keep improving. I think right now they're at like eight or nine different fruits and vegetables. Um, so it's really exciting, interesting stuff. If they can you know, keep down that path and it ends up being something that really works, something that we all just have an app on our phone and we can go into the store and shine a light and know what the best stuff is. Um, it's going to be more about money, more than just about money at that point. It, it really will be about who's growing the best food. Um, you know, so having this information out there and collecting it all and, and getting it together uh, really is uh, a, a great uh, base to having the knowledge to point to, 
It's going, oh, no, it saves money and then it, it makes better food. So you're going to have to grow like that or you're going to go out of business, you know. Uh, but just standing on, I know a lot of people just want to yell and stand on their soapbox and, and scream Monsanto sucks. And I fucking agree. They do the shit they do to farmers around the world. is pretty fucking gross. But um, uh, that's common practice for all companies. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the more we talk, the more we connect, the louder our voices, uh, the more they have to listen. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's um uh for me the biggest takeaway and kind of the inspiration for this was going over to Africa and kind of seeing Syngenta, Syngenta, Syngenta. There were 95% of the fertilizers that were even available there or pest controls were all through that one company. And then going there and teaching the guys in Zim about Korean natural farming was just mind blowing to them that they didn't need a lot of that stuff anymore. And especially when we were working on the tobacco fields, they already had a ton of fertilizer in there. It just needed to be unlocked. They just needed the microbes. That was the only thing that was missing. Uh, And it just took them a while to kind of understand that. But once they got that, it was like game changing to them that they, you know, could could go this whole other direction with their farming. I think that that's really what, that that's really what we need to kind of get out there is that they don't need to rely on these, big chemical companies that they, and that's, that's the biggest part of it is just making them realize that they can do that jump. And, and that's, that's, you know, oftentimes you have to take a section of the crop and grow it that way and then physically show them to get them to believe it. But once you show the first guy, he'll teach a hundred more in those types of uh, cultures, which is so cool about it. So we just have to be that guy that teaches the other guy, uh, each of us when we're, when we're doing this and it'll spread pretty rapidly faster than I think a lot of us realize. I mean, shit, five, 10 years ago or five to eight years ago, most people had never heard of KNF. I know I, I first heard about it seeing Chris at, at Josh's conference in 2000. What was the first one in, in Portland in 2000 and, uh, 2018 or 17, whenever it was. So um, definitely uh, a pretty uh, uh, wild time. And and now, I mean, cripe, uh, anyone that's serious about organic cannabis uh, certainly knows who Chris is. So um, <laughs> it's kind of neat to see that uh, go full circle. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where this all goes. Also knowing that, um, like I've always kind of joked around and said, yeah, if I ever ran for politics, I'd get fucking assassinated for sure. Um, it's it's also, you know, for people in those countries, it's a dangerous prospect. You know, like Master Cho got, you know, the shit beat out of him, almost beat to death over, you know, teaching farmers how to farm because that country is very much controlled by fertilizer companies. So, um, you know, it is it, it is very pervasive for sure. And it's, um, you know, and, and though it really goes to like those, you know, they didn't know any of that because that's what they're taught and they don't have access to any other information. And, um, you know, giving them that knowledge really is power. Um, it really is the key to their freedom, um, which means that, you know, we're really natural farming is a radical thing to do you know um right now the way that not to get all you know like political and um dour but the you know the way the world is uh, they they're definitely not um uh it's not about uh individual sovereignty for sure um you know they don't want us to grow our own food and and they don't they hate conversations like this um and and by they i mean um, people who are scared. Um, the man. 
What's that? The man. <laughs> the man. <laughs> well, the man is people. You know, the government is, it's fucking run by a bunch of people. You know, I mean, for sure, there's a bunch of rich fucks out there that are, have their finger on everything. Uh, but in general, all of the decisions that are made are, are made by people that are, have been put in positions of power and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, but stuff like farming knowledge, um, that, that's a power that, you know, that it's, uh, it's an extreme one to have, you know, society could collapse and you're going to be all right because you know how to farm and you can hunt and you can make your own fertilizer and, um, Oh yeah. That's why uh, I made my, uh, when I've had, I'll sit around sometimes on the Saturday night and, and drink whiskey and I'll, I'll order way too many seeds from like world-class seed or one of the other private breeder groups, or you're buying directly from breeders. And that's my like late night vice habit is because you know what, if some, something happens, as long as you have, you know, ability to feed yourself and defend yourself, you'll be all right. You know, as long as you got land to grow it. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's going to be coming to you and asking you like, Hey, can you teach me how to do I'm going to fucking starve to death. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Someone has to lead the people after everything collapses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and hopefully, um, you know, we're, we're trying really hard to, to put together a nonprofit to really, um, you know, be able to fund going to other countries and, and teaching people, um, you know, how to be more self-sufficient. And uh, I don't know, I, uh, I definitely didn't think uh, two years ago when I started a Facebook group uh, that I would have, uh, you know, that I'd be friends with David Crosby and uh, that I'd meet Jim Belushi and uh, that I'd be talking to a bunch of people around the world. Um, but uh, I feel like I've kind of found my mission in life now, which is, uh, you know, trying to get everybody organized and, uh, moving in one direction and uh so far it's been a lot of fun so just gonna keep rolling along and see what happens well if you ever want to do something in africa let me know i got plenty of good buddies over there now <laughs> yeah well i gotta put together a board so we're gonna be talking we're gonna be talking <laughs> well um i think i don't want to keep you all evening and uh, i know you have uh, other things to tend to there uh where you are i know you've been traveling all day and i'm sure you're, you're pretty tired as well so uh, yeah, I, I think we'll, tomorrow too. I got to be in Arizona by six. Uh, it's all right. If are you still in well, are you still in Oklahoma? Or? Uh, no, I'm in New Mexico. Okay, all right. So you you'll, you'll make it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> we regularly go out from here to LA. We got different things we, we run out to do. So uh, I know that run all too well. Um, we will uh, uh, throw the website back up here again uh, for those of you guys that are interested. Uh, again, you can check out at organiccultivators.net. Uh, they're also organic cultivators on Instagram at organic cultivators or organiccultivators.net. If you're listening to this on uh, an audio version, and then um, Wendy's uh, Instagram is uh, at sunabus or sunabus.com. And then uh, James's is at James. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you pronounce your last name again? I apologize. Yeah, it's uh, Buer. James Buer um, uh, at uh, B U E. Oh, sorry, James B E U R E R. There you go for for you audio listeners. Uh, and again, organiccultivators.net.
And then uh, there's, uh, um, you know, for those of you who are on Facebook, we our Facebook group is about 13,000 people. Steve's one of the moderators and Suzanne is a moderator. So if you have pest questions, you can post pictures in there and annoy the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you give a, a, what you think it is in two in your post. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely do that. Um, it, it needs to be a video from about five feet away from the insect as blurry as possible. Yeah, totally out of focus. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you think I have? She loves right. those questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. everybody, I, I, it's the, the, the group of moderators in the Facebook group is super awesome. So, um, and everybody's pretty responsive. So uh, being in there, uh, the, the conversations that happen is pretty cool. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, I always try to post different um, white papers and stuff when I find something interesting. I, I posted one uh, uh, yesterday or today about um, viruses and what the weed host is. In fact, that was the one I think I posted today on um, you know, different uh, weeds you might have in your yard and what plant viruses that might affect your garden um, can be vectored by insects from those plants. So kind of an interesting paper. Uh, I haven't seen that particular chart before, so that was pretty educational. So definitely check it out. It's a really cool group. Alrighty, well, uh, thanks a lot for joining us this evening. Um, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention here and before we uh, wrap up the show? I think that's it. Just, uh, you know, come to the conference, hang out, you know, learn some cool stuff. I don't know. <laughs> It'll be that's a good it. time I'm for tired, sure. Man. I'll bring a bunch of uh, a sublingual powder. We'll get everyone super high. It'll be fun. <laughs> right on. Um, and you guys can also check out my course over at uh, apmjclass.com. Again, we have a, a huge overhaul. Uh, uh, the IPM new IPM uh, section is actually longer than the original aquaponic cannabis classes. It's actually over 150 slides uh, with all different types of detailed release information for beneficial insects, um, recommended sprays, uh, different types of conditions to use different things. It's really in-depth. We really tried to incorporate a lot of pictures that I've taken uh, over the years at different grows and different pests that we run into. So that'd be cool. I'm also be offering that pest control class as a separate standalone class as part of the release of the advanced course material. Um, we will be offering an advanced aquaponic cannabis class. The first off, we're gonna be releasing it in sections and then you'll be able to buy all of it at once at the end uh, if you wanna go that route as well. So uh, again, we put a lot of time into it. I think you guys are gonna be really happy with it. I, I finished recording all the, the pest control section today and we'll be uh, uploading that in the next uh, week or so. Uh, and then also uh, one last thing, if you guys are interested, come check me out over in uh, Washington in August, August 19th, 20th and 21st at the Myceliate Festival. Um, awesome people, Chris Trump, Cass Posey, Matt Powers, Dustin Powers, um, a whole bunch of wonderful people, Molly from Molly's Bottle Shop, uh, myself, uh, Catherine Seidman uh, and a whole bunch of other wonderful people. I know there's quite a few unannounced people that I'm privy to know as well that are I'm super excited to, to hang out with. So definitely a, a cool experience if you're looking to kind of do another awesome event after the, uh, the one here in July. Uh, so uh, definitely check it out. And one last thing, if you're looking for um, that paper on the Aspergillus uh, and uh, Bactillus amphiquiliensis. It's by Biocontrol Agents and Their Influence on the Cannabis Testing Space by Kevin McKernan, Christoph Marsh, Steve uh, Cottrell, Sherman Holm. Uh, so, and, and sorry, and Sherman Holm. So, um, a really interesting paper just came out uh, and definitely one I'd highly recommend reading about 
um, how uh, Bactillus amphicoliensis was causing false positives um, uh, for Aspergillus in mainly Arizona, but um, that's because they tend to use that product a little more than other states. But he goes into that in the paper. It's interesting. So definitely check that out, and it'll make you think quite a bit about biocontrols, uh, at least in regards to that particular one. All right, guys, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, we'll be back either this Thursday or Tuesday. I'm not quite sure which. We do have another guest that we had to, to bounce around on schedule-wise. So we, we, um, we have some definitely a couple of cool people in the queue, but uh, uh, we may not have a show tomorrow. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll let you know uh, in the morning on Instagram. All right, guys, thanks a lot. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, uh, Spotify, at Potent Ponics, or Growing With Fishes. Uh, thanks a lot for watching, and we'll catch you guys again next week.